Hi, I'm Ben Strivens. He's John O'Scott. Hi. And we, we watched, watched anything. anything. We trawl the depths of Netflix to find three films of the same genre, of the same genre, and watch them so you don't have to. I take one, he takes one, and there's one we both watch. So you know what to add to your list, or smash with your fist. Hello everyone. What do Oceans, Lucky Number, and Legs have in common? They are all 11, and that is exactly what this podcast is. We Watch Anything, Podcast 11. Wow, I wasn't <laughs> expecting that, dude. That was a good opening. Get to. Well, yeah, I just didn't want it to feel left out. No. Ten had such a big one. We didn't want to be like, oh, here's the next one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Um, so, dude, we last week we did um, prison movies, and frankly, we had a bit of a shocker. Yeah. Um, three movies that weren't that great, so... I'm going to apologise one more time. It was on my watch. I chose the films. But, you know, as we do watch anything, that's our point. We're supposed to watch these films, so... That's what that's what I thought when I listened to it back. I thought, we watch anything. We really have watched it, so you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. um, that's the mission statement, and it's working for me. Mm. So, this week, I chose us an entirely different genre. I kind of went, you know, away from the formalised world of of prisons and into the completely disorganized world of post-apocalyptic movies which it's a bit of a favorite of mine i do love a bit of post-apocalypse oh good frankly. good yeah i mean i suppose that's one thing in recent episodes it's become my thing that i will kind of i will think a lot about like prison movies or whatever like last time and then think about mm. the films that have uh, that have affected me over uh, and uh, but i can't i haven't really done that with this one i haven't really sat around and thought okay which are my favorite apocalypse movies apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic films so have you done this well um i generally i mean it's something that it's one of those things that i kind of one of my favorite books is the day of the triffids oh yes okay yes which we i just love with this the passion before. yes yeah an, a, and an amazing book about... and the adaptations have never been up to no apart from the only really good adaptation of the, day of the triffids is actually 28 days later yeah. essentially yeah 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 um and so and I, but Saying that, I didn't want to choose zombie movies because that's your sort of easy go-to, you know, post-apocalyptic thing these days because, you know, zombies are such a big deal. Mm. But I didn't want to choose zombies. I thought I could do because we're around at the time that Walking Dead starts again in season seven. Yeah. But I didn't want to go there. Yeah. Um, but another, I mean, I there's a whole bunch I loved. I think growing up, things like um, the tripods. Oh, the tripods. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, that was um, terrifying. That was a huge. That was like it was the most amount of money oh, really? they'd ever spent on a British TV program. Oh, I didn't and because that. of the amount of money it cost, that's partly why it didn't last very long. Because although yeah, well, it I was, I don't believe it hasn't been resurrected. No, well, I'm surprised as well. I mean, I remember. Yeah, I remember it scaring them. I, it, actually, the early eighties ish version of Day of the Triffids mm. and Tripods were two really terrifying bits of TV that I still kind, yes. of, kind of remember being frightened of as a little boy. I still could never get frightened of wobbly plants. But I think I did. It's not about the plants. No. It's not about the plants. <laughs> but um, oh, well, that's the whole problem with it. Is the book? Is it the the, the the adaptations always, always focus, focus on, on the plants? plants. <laughs> it's not about the bloody plants. No. I know they're in the title, but it's not about the plants. I know. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously the Mad Max movies I love. Oh, yeah. I have a funny relationship, not a funny relationship at all. But Mad Max Fury Road is one of the few things 
having two small people, I don't get to go to the cinema very much. And that is something that I we got babysitting for. I went to see it in the cinema because I thought it's a cinema spectacle. And it was a cinema spectacle. But what I don't really get is all the people who've come away from it going, that should have won the Best Picture Oscar. Because frankly, it's visually stunning. Yeah. They did loads of practical. That's great. But like, it wasn't the world's greatest story. No. And it wasn't the world's most revolutionary thing. <laughs> and it, yes, it had a very strong female lead. Good like that. Nicholas Holt, vastly underrated in it, I think. He's fantastic. Mm. But frankly... It wasn't the best film of the year. No. I just watched Room. Room smashed its face in for being good. <laughs> really? I've not seen that yet. Room's incredible. Is it? Um, uh, I watched an awful lot, you know, schlocky stuff growing up. And this is partly my problem when I was um, when I was choosing movies for us to do mm. in this podcast. Because I chose the sci-fi one we did about six, seven episodes ago. And there was a bunch of stuff on there. There was a bunch of post-apocalyptic things. And I reckon I'd seen about 70% of them. But there was a good solid 30%. So I thought, brilliant. Choose post-apocalypse. I'll just uh, nip into that little story I had. And that thing that happened with Netflix is they were gone. Hmm. Not, not all of them, but most of them had vanished into the ether. I'm sure they'll come back again. It tends to cycle around. Yeah. But... Uh, I was a bit I was left a bit stumped this time round because I had a few I thought solid choices yeah. and suddenly they was gone. And all I had left were movies that I wasn't sure if you had seen but I certainly had. Yeah. And I contemplated well I just I didn't want to cheat. Yeah. No, I I keep nearly wanting to cheat with them. Um... Oh, sorry. I've talked about this before but the film Once Bitten. I really want to cheat with that because I've only seen it once. Years and years no, ago, I've never seen and it. I kind of want to make you watch it because I remember it being really bad. But that would be cheating because yeah. it's got to be films we've not seen, so I can't ever choose no, exactly. Mm. Oh, briefly, a mm. couple of podcasts ago, this will be very quick, I promise, people. But a couple of podcasts ago, the um, we were doing uh, crime, and I was given Running Scared. Now, I spent the first bit of my review of, of Billy Crystal, nineteen eighty six, Running Scared, talking about how hilariously bad the opening theme tune was. Yes, you did. I went on to YouTube. And just, I, I, as in I typed in, you know, running scared, opening credits. Yeah. And I quite like it now. <laughs> so, yeah, just forget all that. Oh, I recommend, oh, I recommend our listeners do the same. <laughs> okay, I was definitely going to watch it because of that song and see how bad it was. And now I'll just watch it to see if it's any good or if you're being deluded. Yeah, yeah, do. Do that. Oh, I like do it. Do that little like thing. like it. Mm. Okay, well, that's the past. <laughs> Let's move into the present. But at the same time... The future, because it is, you know, post-apocalyptic. Um, and if we kick off, Jono, what did I give you? Um, what happened in it? What 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 was it? Oh, I'll tell you, dude. Well, you gave me Z for Zachariah. Now, you gave me this because, um, well, A, you were going to give it to me anyway, but then when I told you that I'd seen an adaptation of it before and I'd read the book when I was in school, that seemed to be a particularly strong reason for handing it over to me. So yeah, it was either you who'd heard of it lots or me who'd never heard of it. Yeah. So I thought I'd go with the, uh, with you with the, with the history. It's set in, in America in a valley, uh-huh. in a sort of farm valley. And basically this girl lives alone on a farm and there's been some kind of nuclear apocalypse. You never hear about who it was against or anything like that. But there's okay. been some kind of nuclear war. And by a quirk of geography, of nature, her hmm. valley, this beautiful valley, has been um, has avoided the fallout. Okay. It's just a natural oasis that survived all right. the desolation. And she lives there alone, and into this isolation comes a stranger, another survivor. Mm-hmm. And that is the setup. So that's basically it. She lives alone, 
and suddenly another survivor turns up. And she's Did no one else live in the valley before, or was it? No, she she was, she was she basically lived there with her family, and you find out later on in the film that she, after the war kind of thing, whatever happened, mm. her family went off to look for survivors and never came back. Okay, but she's been on her own. You learn, I think, for you're supposed to believe it's been at least a sort, you know, a season, should we say, a year? I'm okay, not sure cool. how long. But... Cool, cool. So it's not a recent thing. This this war. No, no, it happened a while ago, but I, mm-hmm. I can't remember if they ever specify how long it is. But it's supposed to be a matter of years and months, as opposed to decades. Sure. Um, so just to get the cast in, so Margot Robbie is the girl Anne. Great. And then um, Tuatel Egio Four is is John, this stranger that turns up. John Loomis, he's called. Sure. Um, and I do like him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, I think I like. Mar- oh, Margot Robbie was in Wolf of Wall Street as well, wasn't she? That yes, was but yeah, was, yeah, exactly. Yes, sorry. And she's about to be in something else that's quite big. I forget what it's called. Yeah, she's rather a big deal, I think. Yeah, and, it, and exactly. So you know, great, strong cast. Her and Tuatel Egio Four, you know, Stella. Yeah. So she's alone, and the first thing you see is her in a sort of anti-radiation suit exploring a town, and you can see, you know, it's she's picking up supplies. Mm-hmm. She, she goes into a library as well, so it's not just vital things. She gets a few books kind of thing. Um, and walks back to her valley. You see her take off a suit, scrubs herself down. It's all a bit like I Am Legend in a way, but rural and mountainy, yeah. if you know what I mean. There you go, it's, another post-apocalyptic. Movie. Yeah, exactly. So it's like that, but but set in, in mountainy, rural farming land kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was shot in, this was shot in um, New Zealand and America. Um, oh, okay. Uh, I, I sort of, it, it, it looks a bit like kind of mining country in America, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Sort of Appalachia. Yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's, re- it's really beautiful. And um, anyway, so that's the first bit. This sort of sets the scene of her being alone, but she's a sort of practical person who's doing her stuff. Then quite soon in, I should think it's in the first 10 minutes she sees someone else and it's like oh my god she obviously hasn't seen a single other human being for a long time and it's just yeah. some someone in some kind of weird suit and it really is quite an odd looking suit um radiation type suit survival suit whatever um yeah with a sort of bizarrely big head so it reminded me of i don't know like that version of marvin in the movie version of of um hitchhikers but not at all like that really kind of <laughs> that was just a, that was such a travesty i know i know Anyway, she she watches him from a distance and then, you know, basically you can see he's he's doing some tests and he realises, mm. oh, he's in a place where there's no radiation. He opens the suit, there's this sort of prime, and it's, you know, edgier for, and he lets out this sort of primal roar of <gasps> delight kind of thing because he's, so, right. he's obviously been in that suit for a long time. Yeah. And um, she's just watching him and then she kind of, she's making her way to go a bit closer. And she goes out of sight of him for a bit and she kind of comes to the road. She's just seen him on and his suit is just there on the floor and he's not there. And then she hears him kind of laughing and she can hear running water and you see the shock on her face. Because basically, in a cruel twist of fate, yes. he's gone and bathed in some water that is, doesn't come from this valley. And she knows this. Oh. He's gone straight to some, he's sort of like done a test, gone, oh, yay, no radio- radiation. And then gone <laughs> straight to some water that is irradiated. That was rather foolish. I know. So basically, she runs down, and goes, "Get, get the hell out of there!" They have a quick standoff with some guns because obviously they're both, you know, he's very jumpy kind of thing. So and they, it's post-apocalyptic, so everyone's exactly. Um, and but she, but she tells him what he's done, sort of thing, and he gets out. He starts immediately being sick. She gives him some medicine, then she takes him home, and then we go through to the main crux, the thrust of the sort of first, next twenty minutes is all him. He nearly dies. He's in her home, 
and she gradually mm. sort of nurses him back to health. And that's the sort of first sort of 20 minutes. It's just him being nursed back to health, then their relationship gradually building. You know, they, they, they don't know whether to trust each other. You know, they, yeah. they and that's the thing. I mean, that's what's really nice about the sort of early bits of the film is just seeing them gradually learn to trust each other a bit. But you don't, yeah. as the viewer, you kind of, you can see that she's the sort of, she's supposed to be this sort of innocent, charming, wholesome girl, frankly, who's happened to survive yeah. the Holocaust. That's Holocaust? You know what I mean. And he... Yes. And he, you, you feel like you don't know. There may be some backstory to him that you don't know about. If you see what I mean, it's like that yeah. kind of like soulful. He's seen too much kind of thing. Maybe mm-hmm. he's had to do some dark and dreadful things that you don't want to know about. There's that kind of thing going on. Yeah. But anyway, as he gets better, we start. You just sort of see them sort of um, turning to practicality. Because basically, it's a farm, and she's been trying to run it as best she can. And there are all these various scenes, like he helps her figure out how to get petrol so they can use the tractor again because it had run out of gas and he manages to get gas. Basically, they start working together. And then, okay, come to the one of the important plot points of the whole thing is that she's, okay, she's a religious person. Right. And there's this small wooden church there, which every now and then she goes and plays this really reedy sounding organ. But anyway, she, her dad was a um, built the church himself with his own bet, his own no, two so hands, a, kind of thing. He was a pastor. Yeah, exactly. And the stranger sort of says, "So there's no electricity in the house," and he says, "We mm-hmm. could use the waterfall that that comes into the valley, the irradiated water. In fact, but we could use yeah. the waterfall to power this generator that's broken to give us electricity, which would, you know, which would really sort of change our lives, blah de blah." Yeah. But the only way to do that is to tear down the church. Right. Her her dad's church that he built. And so basically, what becomes a really important part of this film is this symbol of the church. It beca- it's, it's Honestly, you know, we've discussed how we'd quite like to do a faith film episode just because yeah. I'd, I'd be quite interested to see what some of these faith films are like. We could have saved this for the faith film episode. That's not to say, I don't mean that as casting any judgments on it, but just a big no, no. part of the plot is that like he is not religious, she is religious. And then there's this whole... I think rather clunky use of the church. The church has literally got to be torn down in order to make electricity. Do you know what I mean? It's just here is a metaphor. Yeah, exactly. Look out. Um, that said, you know that just becomes a thing. It doesn't happen straight away. In fact, that becomes a thing that that, that crops up again mm. throughout the film. Then the other thing that happens about I should think about half an hour into the film is that the very first cracks start appearing in their relationship. In that basically one time he finds a whole load of booze. Um, and gets drunk, not really horribly drunk, but enough that he becomes a bit of a mean drunk and he gets a bit annoyed right. and he sort of gets in a grill. You know, it doesn't attack her, but it's an invasion of personal space. Yeah. And it's all sort of going along and going along. And then Chris Pine turns up. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. And this is the whole thing. Okay, so the original book only is only a two, there are only two characters in the book. Oh, really? And when, right, I saw in 1984, I thought, my memory told me it was a film, but I've actually looked it up on IMDb, and what I saw when I was at school and was being, you know, being made to read this book Mm. was a play for today, you know, so it was a a short hour-long adaptation of it where they set it, because the book is set in America, the original book, but in the play Mm -hmm. for today that I'd seen, they set it, they moved it to Wales and um, just have the girl and this man. Bit like a uh, World War Z. Well, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, that was weird. That wasn't it. Um, yeah. Anyway, but in this, they 
they introduce a new character, a third person. Now, personally speaking, I can't remember the book that well. I remember broadly what happens in it, and I remember the play yeah. for today. I personally think adding a third person was a good thing because <laughs> this this film then becomes basically you know a love triangle because yeah. Chris Pine's character he's he turns up and he's he actually reminded me of the crossbow wielding dude from The Walking Dead. Oh really? Yeah, just because he looks a bit pasty. Daryl. Yeah, he looks quite sort of dirty and oily, and you don't. It's Captain Kirk. I know, but that's that's what that's the thing. He's he's he plays a more. Again, he's got this. You don't necessarily trust him, kind of thing. Mm. And it's like as you're watching this, it kind of is a bit unsettling because you know you're really watching their relationship, rare relationship. And then suddenly this third one comes along. And, you know, that feeling when he kind of got, oh, no, what, who's this? Who's this intruder? He's going to mess everything yeah. up. Do you know what I mean? And um, like, I'm just going to mention this scene because straight away earlier on, we'd had a scene where Edgio 4 didn't say grace at a meal and she did. You know, it was a nice, right. obvious thing. Anyway, Chris Pine turns up and the first time they have a meal together, he does say grace as well. And, and he has a very religious name. Yeah. Cable. Exactly. Caleb. Caleb. Sorry, Cable. <laughs> Hi, I'm Cable. That My brother done. TiVo. <laughs> Cable Nixon's the name. Um, <laughs> no, anyway. <laughs> Caleb, sorry. He's just, he just, he's, he gives off a slightly untrustworthy thing, but he's also, he's, he's a bit of a, he seems, he's also quite charming, mm. you know, and there's a definite sort of chemistry between, between him and her. And I mean, to be honest, I don't want to say too much about the plot because yeah, no, it's don't. that same thing where I just kind of I don't want to give away too much. I think, you know, you will see that there are three character names. So I'm all, I don't think I'm giving away too much of a spoiler to say that a third no, character. Also, I mean, there's a hell of a cast to let someone's feet. That's, that's, yeah, no, that's one of the reasons I want to go right. You've just got Margot Robbie, Chiwetel Ejiofor and Chris Pine. That's great. Yeah. And... And I, I, I'm, I'm going to move to basically what I thought about it because I hope mm. I've given enough of the sort of the setup. But Edgio Four <laughs> is is just is awesome. I mean, I know you know he's a wow. he's a very much a celebrated actor of his generation. Yes. Is he not? But oh no, absolutely. But um, he's just he's just he's just really good in this. And I like Chris Pine very much. And seeing him play, shall we say, slightly against type, bit less of an yeah. all American hero. He was really good as well, and Margot um, Robbie, who like mm. I didn't, I'd not really seen much with her in before. I mean, she was very good as well. I I, just, I, I, I mention her third purely because I feel like she has the slightly the, the slightly less interesting character to play. Sure, um, but I think she inhabits her character really well as well. Where does where does the name come into play then? What Zed for, Zed for Zachariah? Oh yeah. well, that's I I think in if I'm I can't quite remember. But in the original book, I think it, the idea is that, and I don't know if this is based on a real book, but the Anne, the name of the survivor, has a book from her childhood, which is A for Adam, Z oh, for Zachariah. Fine. So Adam being the first man, Z for Zachariah being the last man. So it's the idea of man dying out kind of thing. Sure, 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 sure. So, so I mean, basically... That's it. It's, it's this sort of love triangle set in a valley. Um, and the, the thing is that, like, Chris Pine, I should think, turns up about 40 minutes in, half an hour in. And okay. it's only about that. Right. This is the runtime of this is one what is 130, no, one hour, 37 minutes. But seven minutes oh, of that is like the end credit. So basically, this is an hour and a half film. 
so it doesn't feel it doesn't outstay its welcome. I mm. I thought that it, it mean it look it's 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 a slick film. It looks really good. Wow. Um, this is this is this is sort of tending towards the glowing at the moment. I, I know you're talking about there as being some faults. Yeah, but... I mean there are definitely faults, but like I mean it had a really good score as well. Oh, let me just I've looked up who did this. Uh, it's Heather McIntosh. She's a cellist. She did the score and she's worked Ooh, with. I do I, like a cello. Yeah, the the director's a guy called American guy called Craig Zabel. Who I looked up and he's one month older than me. Here am I in a one bedroom flat. <laughs> he's just directed bloody Chiwetel Edgio for and Z for Zachariah. Um, but I like to think I'm winning in some other ways. But anyway, he directed Compliance, which I've not seen. But anyway, he worked with Heather McIntosh on that. And I don't know much more about I Heather McIntosh, the, what, but like I really liked it. I know Compliance. I can't remember, dude. I can't remember. But anyway, mm. the score's really, really good. It sort of puts me in mind of that Icelandic dude, um, Johan Johansson. Do you know him? Yeah, yeah, or a bit cigarossi as well in times. But either mm. way, it's a it's a it's a pretty groovy score. Um, groovy is totally the wrong word, but I mean, as in I liked it. <laughs> it's the least groovy score, anyway. It's a bit of a funkier post-apocalyptic three-handed <laughs> love triangle. I just think that yeah, there were just some really good scenes where where you just really saw the sort of the the drama, the subtleties of this sort of the different characters, like the, mm. the jealousies and the sort of the paranoia, because, you know, the whole point is that Edgio Ford really doesn't like Chris Pine. It doesn't like him sort of worming in. I, and like I said, I don't want to say too much else, but um, I really like the way the there are mind games that go on between Caleb and John and the way yeah. that they're all handled and developed. And it actually, in a weird way, bear with me on this, but it sort of reminded me of Girl with the Pearl Earring. It is nothing like Girl with the Pearl Earring <laughs> other than that is a film where, although it got a lot of criticism for being slow moving, if you watch Girl with a Pearl Earring, every single scene has a point and mm-hmm. every single scene does further the plot in its tiny little way. It, it doesn't have that much dead wood in it. And this was similar in that every sort of scene had a point. That said, I think some people will find the ending annoying. And maybe a little bit unsatisfying. I personally didn't. I find it kind of alright. But I did go on to, you know, I read a few reviews afterwards where some people didn't like like it. I should also say it's a PG, so it's all done in quite a way that's interesting. That's it's you know, there's there's no sort of nudity. There's no it, it, it all no stays overt fairly, violence and yeah. Yeah, and um, I mean, basically, overall for me, I think good good work. Um, it's it's a it's a good healthy B minus. I'm saying B minus mm-hmm. because. Sure. I don't think I'm necessarily going to watch this again, but it's just a really well-made film. Within, you're glad you've seen it. Though. Yeah, definitely glad I've seen it. A good script, um, albeit with the criticisms I mentioned, and the the three leads I think are really worth watching, and I'd recommend it. Oh, high five! Yeah. Oh, good stuff. That I mean, that's 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 an antidote to last week's. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, pick of pick of things. Yeah. Pick of poo. I was going to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, great news! All right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that went down so well. I was. I really had no idea. You know, you can get a feeling sometimes, and obviously, be very wrong, or whatever. But I really had no idea which way that was going to go. Yeah. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, interestingly enough, as seems to happen every time, and maybe it's just because you can draw comparisons between things um, of similar natures all the time. <laughs> Not sure what I meant by that, but <laughs> what <laughs> we see. Like, there always seems to be some sort of coincidental hookup between our movies. I agree. Unplanned. Um, I almost gave myself a zombie movie. Like I said, I didn't really want to do that. Mm. And then I came across this movie that was sort of post-apocalyptic, I found while watching it. Um, and it's more mid-apocalyptic. Ah. 
which was quite interesting, I thought. Mm. Um, it's called Left Behind. Ooh. I'd never heard of this before. It is a Nicolas Cage film. Ah. Which I thought, which is great, because Nicolas Cage films can go one of either two ways. It can be really enjoyable mm. or just unbelievably awful. I still have a lot of love for that man, even though he's made a lot of bad films yeah. now, hasn't oh, he? I mean, he did a lot of a lot of terrible work with his remake of The Wicker Man, which should just be buried in a pit. Oh, I, I couldn't get through that. I tried it's to just, watch it. It's I... so bad. Yeah. But, you know, I love him in many, many things. And I kind of figured this this is worth a shot. It's also directed by Vic Armstrong. Oh, Vic Armstrong, Vic Armstrong. Vic Armstrong is the most legendary stuntman to ever have lived. You know, he was Indiana Jones in the Indian movies. Oh, Indi- yes, 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 yes. All that second unit direction of all those amazing action scenes, all the Indy under the car, all that kind of stuff. That's all Vic Armstrong. So I was like, cool. This is a Vic Armstrong directed movie with uh, Nicolas Cage in. What, what, could go, what could possibly go wrong? Um, the plot is that... Uh, Nick Cage is an airline pilot and he is flying a plane, unsurprisingly, full of people and an event happens right. on around the whole earth, right. a sort of unspecified event, huh. that means that a large portion of the earth's population just disappear Ooh. and Nick Cage has to get his plane full of people, which is slightly less full of people now, down safely somewhere right after everyone in the world has disappeared well, well not everyone but after a really intriguing part. can i just clarify so there's no there's no sort of huge bomb there's no nothing he just what does he no. does he just talking to like the control tower and suddenly it goes quiet what happens no i'll 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 tell you i'll come to that in a bit so there's that the subplot is that his daughter is around on the ground mm-hmm. and she is not one of the people who's disappeared so he sort of wants to get back to her as well right um, now, the way this correlates to your film that I didn't realise when I chose this is that this is a massive faith film. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. So we sort of have done our religious faith film episodes. <laughs> Good. Basically, what the apocalypse that happens is the rapture. Oh. And the rapture is, I think it's in Ezekiel, could be wrong, when God chooses all those who yeah. are without sin to go to heaven and leaves everyone else on earth for the coming apocalypse. That's quite a cool idea for a film, I think. Well, it is quite a cool idea. So, but what happens is, is, is it happens, it takes 40 minutes for the rapture to occur. Oh, right. But what happens is, there's a very sudden snap, boom, there are loads of clothes just left lying on the ground. So people just disappear out oh, of their wow. clothes, basically. Um, so in so Nick Cage's co-pilot disappears. The uh, One of the stewardesses disappears. Half his passengers disappear. All of the children in the world disappear. And sorry, they, and they've all gone to heaven. Because they're innocent. They've all gone they? to heaven, yes. Right, okay. I'm sure there's a song about that. Yeah. Um, but they've, yeah, they've, you don't know that the time they disappear. You just Everyone just is in this humongous panic. Um, so basically, Nick Cage is a very flawed character. We find this out early on. Um, but what... He's flawed because he's kind of about to cheat on his wife with the stewardess. Uh, he, um, his daughter has come home from college to see him over the, the vacation period because it's his birthday. He doesn't know. She sort of meets up with him in an airport as he's flying off to London. And she's kind of like, oh, so you're not going to be at home then. So I'm sort of going to see you for that. But they both have this talk about how she doesn't want to be at home with her mother. And she knows he's running away from her mother. 
Right. Because her mother is, uh, awesomely enough, Leah Thompson from Howard the Duck and many other things. Oh, um, oh I love her. Yeah, I know. She's awesome. Oh, um, good. And she is a religious fanatic who keeps talking about the rapture and how it's coming. Right. And they're both like, oh, she's a bit freaky deaky. Uh, she's doing my head in. I don't really want to talk about religion all the time. Mm. Um, and so Nick Cage jumps in the plane. His daughter, meanwhile, has been flirting with this investigative journalist who um, is, for some reason, he's kind of like this world-renowned investigative journalist because apparently they exist. And uh, <laughs> people keep stopping him in the airport going, hey, aren't you blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yes, I am. Um, like in Dick Francis books when you yeah, have to it, believe yeah, exactly. them. <laughs> <laughs> that like the world has got like hugely popular horse related personalities. I know. The horse I do love that. guy. It was on the front page of all the newspapers. No, it wasn't Dick. It was about <laughs> it a horse. No one cared. Dick. It was on the back page. Shut up. Um <laughs> but, not to say I don't love a good Dick Francis book. No, no, yeah, I love he, them. Yeah, yeah. But the but, the man who's lived in horse racing all his life does vastly overestimate <laughs> the appeal of it to most of the population. Um, but it's the same with this kind of thing. Like, just, yeah, people just stop him in a food court. Like, hey, you're that investigative journalist. <laughs> he is on Nick Cage's flight, um, and he's sort of hooking up with his daughter, and so they become a kind of team on the flight because obviously he doesn't disappear yeah. either. So he must be a flawed character. Yeah. Um, Frightening. And thought. yeah, so. Basically, the, the whole the whole movie is them Nick Cage trying to get the plane down because um, the runways aren't clear, and they have a great moment where they sort of have an almost mid air collision, yeah. uh, and them sort of coming to terms with. Oh, I, I'm sorry, the daughter as well. She's been she was out at the mall with her little brother, and he disappeared in a puff of smoke. And her trying to get home, and she gets home to find her mother's gone because she was a good person. And them sort of dealing with the after effects and the sort of continuing effects, I guess, of the rapture. This, I mean, I must admit, just, just, I, I think this, this sounds like a really quite cool, intriguing idea for a film, yes. for an apocalyptic film. I quite, I, that sounds cool. I, I'm I quite, didn't realize I'm, I'm quite drawn in. It's quite a long series of books, actually, by oh, a Christian it? author. It's oh, like really? 16 books about the whole thing happening. I had no idea before mm. I went into this. Um, and it would have been quite a cool... Well, no, it is quite a cool idea for a film. It's quite it's quite intriguing. The only problem is it's just horrifically ham-fistedly done. <laughs> is it? Yeah, like, uh, Nicolas Cage is in definite sort of, like, hammy, chewing up the scenery mode, as he always is. Um, <laughs> nearly everyone in it. There's another ex-neighbours actress in it and she's pretty terrible um his daughter is a real kind of like um uh, Kristen Bell knockoff she's quite she's fine but most people are fine Kristen script, Bell Kristen Bell who's that Kristen Bell she's um she's the voice actually of Anna in Frozen but she was uh, Veronica Mars and Veronica Mars and she's oh I love her yeah, yeah 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 so do I yeah great and this girl is like I a real bargain basement voice in Frozen, Frozen. Oh, yeah yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So, so they basically they, they, sort of, they sort of they 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 work out what's happening. It happens about forty minutes in the rapture happens, and then it takes about another twenty minutes before they realise sort of what it is, and then it's just cue lots of like, I should have listened to my wife, <laughs> she was right. Oh. We should have followed God. Ah. Oh. Yes. It's all the Christianity that I've that I've been rejecting would have saved me. And it's really, really horrifically heavy handed. Like I have no problem with um 
getting this message through, but don't do it with a sledgehammer. God, it it, ma- it huge... makes my, my church metaphor in my film sound really subtle. Oh, yeah, no, yours yours sounds <laughs> uber subtle. I, I went to the Vatican a few years ago, yeah. right? and um, there's a whole bunch of gift shops on the way there, and in one of the gift shops was about a six-foot-long glow-in-the-dark rosary made of plastic. <laughs> it was the biggest, most gaudy thing you've ever seen, and that is very much like this script. <laughs> You just can't miss it. You can even see it in the dark. It would batter you to death with its message. And like, I, I read afterwards like why these people were involved in it. And I was like, Nick Cage, I didn't realise he was sort of a big Christian. And neither did I think, no, realise that Vic Armstrong was. And you're and in the interviews, they all sort of skip around that area. Mm. The writer doesn't, because he um, has got quite a track record of writing sort of Christian literature and stuff. But the, Nick Cage said, I just did it because the script was so great. I thought... Really? Did you read the script? <laughs> it was appalling. But Vic Armstrong, I think, just wanted to do an action thing, and maybe it's just because it was one of the gigs he could get. Mm. That's sort of the feeling I got from the interview with him that I read. But really, it's kind of like, yeah, it's just, it's just. Does it have so... any action in it? I mean, there's loads of sort of action. There's a bit yeah. when. Um, uh, oh, this is the other thing that I found quite sort of I guess Ham fisted quite mental about it. It's like as soon as the rapture happens and these people disappear, the entire world descends into chaos. Everyone like they're in the mall, so a few people disappear and everyone goes, Oh right, well I, I should probably just loot every store around then. You're like, what? That just means it's a that was just some missing people. But it just immediately descends into like raw looting. <laughs> what smash, a 40 inch boom, TV. Boom, <laughs> um, and I guess maybe that's because it's all the naughty people left behind. But mm. Then the daughter has to sort of navigate her way out through all the looters and rioters and smashy deathy people, mm. um, and it doesn't. I mean, there's no one specifically too threatening, but there's like, oh, you know, she's walking along and someone snatches a bag on a motorbike, and it's just the world has descended into this crime-ridden hellhole. Sort of, it's not quite, but everything's burning. But it is a bit. It's 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 working towards sort of hellhole land, really. Yeah, and yeah, it all yeah. happens literally in the blink of an eye. Um, but yeah, so the, the script is pretty turgid. The acting is pretty middling to poor um there's some action bits with um nick cage when he has a collision with a plane midair with some terrible cgi and then the whole plane fuel tank catches fire that's quite cool there are some action bits um when he's trying to land the plane oh yeah and uh and and there's just lots of sort of psychological stuff happening within the plane as people you know freak out because i've got another question how long does it take before so within the runtime of the film i don't think you mentioned how long it is yet but like within let's say it's two hours how much of that Slightly is less, set? I think, actually, okay. How much of that is set in the plane? Oh, I I think a pretty good seventy percent is set in the plane. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. So I kind of in my head, I thought that like, you know that that was the setup. Then he touched down after I don't know half an hour or something, and then no, it was no, all... no. The whole thing, the whole movie finishes. Um, well, I could tell you the movie finishes. But... Yeah, don't no, uh, don't don't go, don't give away spoilers because no, I can hear they're... a recommend coming. They're in the plane the whole time. Well, it's it's a funny one. You know, it's not really... It's 110 minutes long, so it's nearly two oh, hours. Oh. It's not really a recommend, but it's also not an avoid. Like, it's it's pretty bad, but it's it's kind of so bad it's good. Really? Like, if you like to see a bit of terrible Nicolas Cage reciting lines that have been put together by a person with boxing gloves and no thesaurus, <laughs> then that's fine. Which I sort of do, to be honest with you. And, yeah. Um, I finished the movie not hating it. It not sounds slightly nuts as well. It. I mean, it sounds kind of it amusingly bad. 
Um, yeah. yeah, it is. It's, it's and it's a, like like you say, it's a great premise. It just hasn't been carried off particularly well. No. But I can't say don't see it. I definitely say don't pay to see it. But it's on Netflix, so hey, you don't have to. But it's um, you could do worse. You could do an awful lot better. But you could do worse. It's a C minus. It's still in that C bracket. Okay. Now, in the past, we've had quite convenient segues into our third film. I can't think. I cannot think of a good segue from your film into our third film, the film that we both watched. So I'm just going to start talking about it. Hit it. The third film, which you chose, mm-hmm. was Turbo Kid. Oh, yes. Which... A film I almost didn't see because it's got such a ridiculous name. And I was, <laughs> as I said, I was forced to trawl the depths. Yes. And try and find a post-apocalyptic movie. Because, listeners, what happened first? Before Ben settled on Turbo Kid, he actually, we had settled on uh, Crack in the World. Is that what it's, was it called? Yeah, A Crack in the World, or Crack in the World, which basically turned out to be not post-apocalyptic at all, but a disaster film. But So for those of you who have listened to our disaster films episode and been slightly annoyed that the third film we watched together, Bug, was basically a horror film, go and watch Crack in the World. Yeah. Because it was basically a disaster film, not Apocalypse. So anyway, I'd started watching that. Then you wasted more of my life by saying, actually, dude, you've got to watch another film. So I started watching Turbo Kid instead, which it's um, it's an interesting little film. Let's just say that straight away. But it's a post-apocalyptic wasteland um, yep. where this young... Unspecified Apocalypse, I think. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, they never, they never bother telling you exactly what kind. But mm. it, uh, straight away, let's say it's sort of Mad Maxi, shall we say? Yeah, it's in that sort of Mad Max vein, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but uh, not that it was filmed in in Australia. It looks colder. But anyway, um, it's a cold, <laughs> colder and greyer than than Mad. You know, Mad Max always looks quite yellow, doesn't it? Because it's also hot and dry. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, it's a post-apocalyptic world where there's this young boy, and he's a comic book fan, um, mm-hmm. and he and he has a particular um, comic book that he loves. But anyway, he, and he. The short, the short version of it is that he wants to save a enthusiastic friend he's made from a tyrannical overlord kind of thing. That's the the, the, the short version, but um, but as with all films like this, the, the the first ten minutes is a nice bit of scene setting. So he seems to live just in this sort of bunker. Is it a sort of bunker? Yeah, he he has this quite cool bunker under the uh, under the ground. Yeah, and it's all it's all very eighties. I think is it supposed to actually be set in the nineteen eighties? But there's been an apocalypse. I think Did it's I... meant to be. I think I find I could be wrong, but I think it's meant to be set in 1997. Oh, okay, cool. All right, but so he spends a lot of his time going around just sort of finding junk. He rides around on a bike because it's a bit like uh, Force Awakens in a way, like Ray. She goes yes. all these sort of junked out things, oh, good call. finds the bits to exchange, and that's yeah. what he has to do. He goes around on his BMX, yeah. and he finds junk, and he exchanges it at a sort of communal place for water. Yeah, and so that's the thing. In Mad Max, they're all after gas or petrol, mm. and, and in this, they're, they're, they're water, is the, about water is the main commodity. Yeah. And, um, uh, I mean, basically then, quite soon on, he meets Apple. We meet Apple. Who's <laughs> this really bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, very turned up to insanely 11... insanely annoying, insanely annoying girl who latches onto him in a really weird way and wants yes, to be friends? Yes, I friend. mean he runs away from it because she's insanely annoying, but yeah. she tracks him down. Yeah, and from then on, and then we quite soon after that we meet the bad guy, who's played by Michael Ironside, who's the evil Zeus, who's like the overlord of this kind of this this 
community or world, whatever. And the other main character is Frederick, played by Aaron Jeffrey, um, who I mm-hmm. hadn't come across before, but he's quite good. And he's just a sort of I cowboy, isn't he? I from something. Yeah, like, I oh, feel I like I recognise him, but I looked at his list and I didn't know anything, I didn't think. But either way, he plays it. He's kind of just a cowboy, isn't he? He's kind of like, he's a bit like a he, Mad Max. Yeah, he's a sort of, uh, he's a kind of frontier hard guy. Like, yeah. we first see him in this in the bar where the kid goes to exchange the junk for water. Mm. He's holding right. arm wrestling competitions. That's right. And if you lose against him, you your hand gets put back against a bit of um, uh, molten steel or whatever. Not molten, obviously, but um, you know, very, very hot steel. And you get branded on the hand. And you see, as you go into this bar, you see a few people with branded hands and stuff. Like, he's the, he's the local super hard dude. Yeah, exactly. And so... A few other things to say about this film just before we get to maybe our our review. Yeah, it's 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 very it's very eighties. It's very retro. He so all the junk that he finds is very eighties. There's loads of nods to the eighties. It's and it's got that made in twenty fifteen or released in twenty fifteen. It's yeah, but. sorry, it was made in twenty fifteen, but it's like like a lot of these and it's and it's got a very sort of it's got a very um oh god the score what's was a very electronic uh, score electronic score thank you dude. Yes. Um, anyway, and the, oh, and the other thing we should mention, the Turbo Kid, the main guy, sorry, mm. is played by Munro Chambers, who yes. looks like he only gets on TV, but he was in Degrassi, The Next Generation, which I've not oh, had right. the pleasure of seeing yet. No, but, which Kevin Smith loved for some reason. Oh, really? Mm. But anyway, so I suppose the main plot is that he's just trying to, yeah, she gets captured, Apple gets captured quite soon by the evil Zeus, Michael Ironside. <laughs> And then he tries to save her from that. He kind of does save her. And then it's all sort of them versus Zeus. Yeah, it's very much turns into very much a revenge thing. Because yeah. because in the process of um, of him saving Apple and of um, the other dude, Frederick, sort of going to try and look for his brother who's been captured by Zeus, they kill a bunch of Zeus's henchmen That's and right. sort of disrupt his, uh, his sort of nefarious plans, I guess. Yeah. And then Michael Ironside has a full sort of Ironside meltdown, yeah, and um, and and just wants them, yeah, yeah. So that's I mean that's 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 sort of the plot. It's it is a bit of a rambly plot in a way, but I guess yeah. that's what, sort of the nature of post-apocalyptic thing. Yeah. You're very right. It's very it's very um, nod to the eighties, very eighties pastiche, made very knowingly. Yeah, as a kind of pastiche of the eighties. And this is the thing I quite often find when we're watching the combo film, I spend and obviously I just watch it and decide what I think. But I sometimes try and double, I try and guess what you think, and actually half the time I am completely wrong. But <laughs> when this film first started, I immediately was slightly on. Oh, we're in kooky, wacky kind of indie comedy world. I'm going to find this annoying. Mm-hmm. And actually, Apple, played by uh, Lawrence Leboeuf, um, yeah. I found her really annoying just to begin with. Then there was this quite sweet scene where he's trying to get her to just talk seriously about something I can't remember what, and she just wants to play tag. Yeah. And for some reason, something flipped in my head. And from that moment on, I stopped finding her so annoying. I found her quite fun. And as well, there's a reason for her being the way she is that sort of makes sense as the plot goes on. But I don't think we should... I don't know whether we should give that away because I feel like that's that's a bit of no, a spoiler. No, I'm not sure we should give that away. Um, But I agree with you. Like, she starts off... Um, and you will find her insanely annoying, and then something <laughs> flips, and you go, "Oh, she's good. like you used like you said a couple of weeks ago. It's a bit like hating a cocker spaniel." <laughs> yeah. Um, what we haven't done yet, though, is said what either of us really thought of the movie. We've talked about her, we talked about the plot, yeah, and you've sort of been building up to it, saying, you know, you were trying to second guess what you thought I thought about this or whatever, mm. um, and I. Um, I guess I was trying to do the same thing, and I don't know what you think about this movie, but I'm going to stick my cards on the table 
and say I absolutely love this film. Oh, good. I absolutely, absolutely... This is in the top three films I have watched for this podcast for me. Oh, wow. Well, uh, okay, well, I'm going to put my cards on the table because, yes, I was building up to say I really enjoyed this film and I couldn't work out whether you'd like it, but I thought you would, but I also thought it just... I just thought it could... I thought there was a chance it would be the same part of you that found um, our Napoleon Dynamite so dislikable. I thought there might be a part of this film that would be that would maybe bring out that side of you. There, there, there are a couple of things that got me right from the beginning. Apart from the fact that I thought it did very well to do the eighties pastiche thing, and it, it, like, okay, we are the prime market for this. But I think yeah. also Stranger Things having come out quite recently means a lot of people are the prime market for this because it has Definitely. that same. Um, yeah, I was going to say. So it's got a little bit. It, it's got a little bit of Guardians of the Galaxy. It's got a little bit of Kick-Ass. Yes, it's got much. a little bit of Stranger Things and a little bit of Super 8 with brain death yes. thrown in and evil well, this death is the too. Thing. <laughs> this is the thing, right? So what we haven't mentioned is it is that sort of like homage to the 80s, but it is also an absolute gore fest. Yes, okay. It yes. is a splatterhound heaven. Like there is a dude whose primary weapon is firing circular saws at people. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's from the moment I knew we were in really great territory. I chuckled my way all the way through this movie. But there's two guys having a pee and one of them gets shot through the stomach with a circular saw. So it comes out the front, it's still spinning, sprays the camera with blood, he falls up the back over backwards, and there is this mixed arc of blood and urine that flies through the air. And the and the gore doesn't really stop from there on. There's like there's amazing sequences of heads being chopped off, things getting crushed and exploded. There is a breeze block hammer to blow someone's head apart. It's there very, is so much good gore. There is, and it's very brain deady in that way, don't you it's, think? So, but the biggest indicator of that, like it is so obviously early Peter Jackson influenced. Mm. Very early on in the movie, he traps an animal to eat. Oh yeah, yeah it's a little yeah, animal in like the cage, the and basically, and I, I did actually look this up after, and they they did specifically do it. It looks like the Sumatran rat monkey from yes, Brain Dead yes, or I Dead Alive if you're uh, watching in America. Yeah. But yes, and I, I saw that was like that's a Sumatran rat monkey, awesome, <laughs> and then. There is a like they, she picks up. They they they're making some weapons. He fashions apple a weapon of a. Are you stick gonna with a you're gonna talk the, the gnome stick, aren't you? Yes, and she <laughs> says this is my gnome stick. You're like, oh my god, we have an Evil Dead reference in there <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah. This is hitting all the right notes. I, oh, this I, one plot point. I feel like we need to. I feel like because the plots like obviously the plots are fairly frankly silly, but I feel like we need to mention that he becomes Turbo Kid because. The comic book he's really obsessed with is Turbo Whatever, and then he finds the crashed plane of yes, some kind of a, hero, and then well, he, I, no, he, ha- he I basically... found this on the rewatch. Oh, on the really? rewatch, I worked out that basically, um, I think the people, the comic books were a sort of. It was almost a um, Starship Troopers thing that the these comic books were for were of the sort of the military kind of thing. So they were just Id- Id- idolizing your, your standard grunt as it were yeah um but they had this amazing weapon on their hand which shoots sort of like laser bolts and no one's got that anymore but he finds a downed plane and he finds one of the laser bolt hand things but conveniently it often needs it needs to recharge quite frequently yeah (laughs) just he's a really likable character it's really executed well the 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 splatter is brilliant i love michael ironside even though he's got pretty chunky these days i know well he um, suddenly it was that slight thing because i liked michael einstein as well and there was that sunny thing when i realized i hadn't seen him in a few films and it was a bit like seeing a relation for the first time for a while and they've suddenly 
got a bit older. And yeah, I mean this yes. with lots of love and respect to Michael Ironside. You still looked spiffing and you were a very good bad guy in this, but you do look a bit older yeah. than when I last saw you. But, um, no, but what oh. I was going to say about it is that it's, well, it just felt, it almost felt, and I mean this in the in a complimentary sense, like a children's TV film. Because yes. it's so low budget and they're all on bikes, you almost felt you could imagine this being made for CBBC, but with horrific gore in. But that's something, really this, 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 also, this also borrows from BMX Bandits. Yeah, 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 yeah. So everyone um, is in, in this future world, there are no vehicles, they're all on bikes, and this really, yeah. you, I mean, you can tell this is really low budget, but it, you, some of my favourite gags in it though it's like they're all sort of like let's go and they ride off and there's like these big hard guys like sat in a sidecar of a BMX just going really slowly it's hilarious yeah oh I'm so glad you liked it as well I was oh. just, for some reason I was really worried that we were going to come to blows about it because oh, oh, no. oh, another thing I really want to enthuse briefly about is that the score is really good as in the soundtrack is fantastic because dude um, I think it, it okay I was just going to mention because it's I mean like a lot of these sort of 80s type things like Stranger Things and all that stuff, they're using a very electronic score. But it really reminded me of The Guest and It Follows particularly. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good shout, good I shout. Said, I know they're it's both by, more um... serious than this. This is much more comedy than, than those two. But both, it, yeah, it really put me in mind of those. It's by an artist called Le Matos, who I've been listening to on uh, Apple Music for the last two days now. Because I oh, really? love the score. Yeah, I really, I couldn't tell you how much I enjoyed I I enjoyed this so much that after it finished, I just press play again. Really? Oh, yeah. wow, that's so cool. Do you know, the first film I did that with was Some Like It Hot on Betamax Video. We Ooh. watched it with my sister Kate. We pressed rewind, watched it again straight away. Aren't you classy? Isn't that cool? I think mine was Young Guns too. Yeah, well, after that, it was Carry On Holiday. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, 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 look, you'll be doing yourselves a favour if you watch this. Even if you're the, you're, you've seen too many of these horror comedy type films... There are just there's just some really fun imaginative silly deaths in that sort of brain dead. Yeah, you know, they put a lot of Absolutely. imagination and love into the deaths. I Look, think. Yes, there's a lot of stuff in here that you could hate if you were being cynical. You could go, oh, it's just obviously going for these '80s tropes. It's trying to get these people who grew up watching all these movies. Yeah, and um, it's you know it's 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 doing this pastiche thing which you might loathe. But at the same time, it's made from such a place of love, yeah. and it's made so well. It's it's um, directed by three people, which is unusual. Yeah, I was going to mention that, and and they mm. they did a short. Um, there was a short called um, which seems to be on IMDb, known as Tears for Turbo or something. And they yeah, met, yeah. so it's a bit like sort of you know the original. Oh, either way, they did a short, and then it it trans it transformed into this. Yeah, mm. what were their names? I wrote it down. It was uh, Francois Simard because it's it's. It's, it seems it's to be Canadian. A new it's a French-Canadian-New Zealand co-production. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. And Johan Carl Whistle. Um, either way, yeah. Oh, well, I'm really glad you liked it. I totally yeah. liked it as well. This is a definite recommend. This what are you going to go with your score? I, I, I mean, I really liked it, but I'm get, I, you sound like you're in, you're in A territory, whereas I think I'm I don't B. know if I can be in A territory because A territory is, I guess, it, it just feels like it should be for masterpieces. And this is just brilliantly good fun but yeah. is it a masterpiece I'm not sure um, I would recommend it until the day I die I'll watch it again I might even watch it again within the next week yeah um, so I mean the, the best I can do is give it a B double plus <laughs> it's either an A minus or a B double plus but I, I think I, I feel like A should be such a gold standard that yeah. you know I'm going to give it I'm going to give it an incredible piece of cinema so, I'm going to give it a B mm. because I think well I just really like it but this is a B I would rewatch. now the point is that like I think I could give a film a B and say, but I don't intend to watch it again. This, I give it a B, but I think I'll watch it again. Awesome. So 
we've got one B minus. It's been a better week. It's a been C- a much a better week. Well, I'm a B plus, you're a B. But uh, it's been a cracking week. I think we've actually ended up with three movies that we don't recommend you don't watch. Two we rec- two solid recommends and one kind of like, if you fancy something rubbish and stupid, <laughs> go and give it a watch. Yeah, yeah. This is I, I. I'm pleased. This is this is soothing ointment compared to last week or whatever. Absolutely, it's nice to be enthusiastic. Exactly, exactly. And um, moving on, it's my turn to choose the genre next time. Yes, but we've had our first listener-generated genre request, which is very exciting. Oh my God, our lovely very listener, and very lucky for you. Huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but I was going to choose this anyway. No, <laughs> our lovely listener. Penny has mm-hmm. suggested she tweeted us and she said let me I've got it right here I bumped into the excellent Willow recently and wondered if there's another good quest type film on Netflix Ooh, over to questies. you now I I also like Willow although I've not seen it for ages but yeah it Neither makes me want to watch it makes me mm. really want to watch it again just yeah. hearing about it it's Val Kilmer isn't it am I remembering right yeah yeah Val Kilmer? yeah Man Morrigan yeah yeah Anyway, so and Joanne Wally. I'm so, I'm, so it's my turn. I'm going to choose three exciting quest films. I've That's seen exciting. quite a few um, on their sort of second string '80s quest films. I'd never heard of. Brilliant. So I'm half wondering whether to inflict those on us, but um, I'm worried I'm, about. I'm, I'm sure they'll be great. Quite frankly, there is so like, I do love a good quest movie, and I've just watched a lot of Game of Thrones, which is quite questy. Yeah, very questy. Um, mm. and obviously we both love the Princess Bride. Uh, mm. yeah. Well, not, um, we can't watch that then, but no. I don't think that's on Netflix. <laughs> Let's either. watch The Princess Bride and Willow. <laughs> and Willow. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, so that'll be the next one. So thank you, Penny. Nice work. Thank hey. you very much, listener Penny. Yeah. We uh, we have a mission. A mission that we will go and do. Yeah. It's almost like we'll be on a quest. Uh... Oh, kill me. Right. Well, if you have something that you would like us to... Uh, to go and watch as we have now proved we'll go and do it so get in touch email us at wewatchanything at gmail.com tweet us at wewatchanything or put a little message on the Facebook yeah we watch anything it's not that that hard yeah you can find us in so many ways and we would love to hear from you until then John is going to go away and find three quest films that Penny's asked us for I will we'll be back again quite soon I find saying goodbye is very difficult I always have that's because child so I used to weep at train stations. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll uh, we'll be in your ears again soon, people. Yes. Uh, enjoy the movies. Go and watch Turbo Kid. You'll thank us for it. There's something slightly creepy and threatening about the idea.